Welcome to the Mere and Powerful Podcast, where we believe in going far by going together. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Empowerful Podcast. I'm Brian Pape. On this episode, Becca and I sit down with Dave McCoy, the founder of Emerald Water Anglers, who is also a Patagonia ambassador and Mere retail partner. We discuss what it means to go carbon neutral, the effects COVID has had on the guiding world, and how to protect the natural environment. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Dave, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you on. Hey, thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a true honor to be here. I know. I wish I wish it was in the water and I wish we were fishing uh, as we've been emailing for like the last two years about getting out. But uh, yeah. here we are nonetheless. Uh, so, yeah, welcome, welcome to the show. We're excited to talk about all the things fly fishing, travel, not travel, COVID, climate neutral, <laughs> carbon neutral uh, yep. and all the things. Uh, but for those who are not looking at this because you're listening to this, Dave has like some epic paintings behind him. Uh some zebras. What's on the other side of those mushrooms? No. Uh, it's kind of a riverscape. Uh, we picked these up when we were in Lesotho in South Africa uh, a couple of years ago. Those are those trees, are, not mushrooms. Yeah. Well, they're, they're cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're really, really, really neat. I, I don't want to say I didn't notice you when we first jumped on the Zoom call, but I was like, wow, those are some sweet zebra paintings. Like, yeah. Those are cool. <laughs> My wife was so sick of zebras by the time we got done with Africa because there was just this one photo I wanted so badly. So every time we'd see zebras, we'd stop and I'd jump out and just try to like not get eaten by something or, or skewered by an elephant while I shot a couple of zebras and she'd be like, Oh my God, where's he like, Hey, Why? look over there as zebras were over here just to keep me from stopping. So oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I, think, I think art is one of the best things you can bring back from a, from totally. traveling. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I try to, to every place. Yeah. Yeah. You get to revisit it every time you look at it. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, well, sorry for that random, uh, diversion, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I, uh, you are in Seattle, is that correct? Right yes. Now? Yep. And you own Emerald City uh, Anglers. In, Emerald Water Anglers. Or, yep. Emerald Water Anglers in uh, West Seattle, is that right? Yep. And you're an avid fly fisherman and an ambassador to Patagonia Costa Nautilus Echo Airflow. Like, man, you are the, like, you are the guy. You're a photographer. <laughs> photographer. Uh, yep. But the, the, I will say, before we jump in, I appreciate your perspective on, like, fly fishing because... It's from my perspective, and, and I, I would not call myself a fly fisher. I enjoy it, and I do it every once in a while. But there seems to be this like moment where everybody wants to go do the rad thing, and it's obviously travel and doing all the you know catching the fish is cool. But you have what I see is a broader perspective and appreciation for conservation, the wilderness, and our climate, and all those things. So I'm 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 excited to talk to you because it's more than just fishing. Yeah, uh, is the, at least that's my perception. So, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just about the fish. No, I, I'm actually, I'm always refreshed to hear somebody call those things out because I, I try as hard as I can to live, um, live through the path to a fish or a possible fish and, and, and embolden that process way more than just, you know, seeking the result and then hoisting it out of the water and, and celebrating that. Not that that's not worth celebrating, but there's just so much more that goes into um, painting the whole picture of those experiences than just the fish itself. They're the, they're the vehicle. 
Yeah, totally. No, that's, um, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, in a, in a weird way, it's kind of like business, right? Like some people just focus on the profit, uh, or the revenue, but there's like so much more to it. You know, there's culture and there's people and there's supply chains and packaging and sustainability. And, um, I find those things far more interesting than just like how much money you make. Right. So in a weird parallel, it's like not just about the size of the fish. It's also about the environment, the climate and the shores and the clean waters and but for you, I'm guessing that it started with the fish from a young age. Is that right? Your father uh, taught you how to fish? Yep. Um, my parents both fly fished. Both my grandparents fly fished. My great uncles all fly fished. I, My dad became a teacher to fly fish three months of the year. So I didn't really have, I, I just tell people I didn't have a choice. I was going to end up doing this <laughs> from well beyond, even when I can remember breathing oxygen. It was- yeah it was obvious this was where I was destined to be. So, and I agree with, I agree with you, Brian. I think uh, business takes on so much more interest when it's more than just the dollar you're trying to earn when you try to really figure out how to have an impact on, on within your business, but what that business can impact in people's lives, exactly what it says behind you on the wall is, it's inspiring. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I think, and that's, I mean, it's what, A, why we started the business, but also keeps us going. And, uh, and it, it provides a little bit more meaning than just like simply making a buck or two. Right. And so I think, you know, ultimately you have to make the money to, to pay the people and do the things, but I think, you know, being able to do more than just focus on the bottom line and, and seeing what you can do to better improve the world. Cause we all have an impact on the world. And I think that's, what's really interesting to me about businesses. Can we reduce our impact? And, um, you know, we'll get into, carbon reduction and all that, and then all that <laughs> right. fun stuff. But, um, uh-huh. I'm curious, like, you know, as Beck touched on with, you know, your dad and, and your grandparents, so like kind of third generation fly fishing, uh, did you, was that like, I guess what I'm trying to draw here is like, was that always a passion? Did you always like it? Or was it kind of like, where you're like, well, I guess I'll do this. And then you fell in love with it. Like, like, how, like walk us through that journey for you, for you. Cause, cause there are certain things that like I was dragged into and I'm like, I, you know, I'm kind of not into that anymore, but there's things that I was a part of that I really, really love, but I didn't find that passion until later on in life. And that's i uh, I'll try to make this as brief as possible. Cause that's a pretty, <laughs> could lead us down, that could lead us down multiple paths. But I love it. I love it. Yeah, I didn't know. There was a period of my life where I had tried to spend the night at friends' houses when I knew dad was going fishing the next morning because I didn't want to go. I wanted nothing to do with it. So be like, dad, I'm going to stay at Mark's or Steve's or Nick's tonight. But we were going to go. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't want anything <laughs> to do with that. Sorry. There's more important things to do. Uh, so I definitely pushed back and, and stepped away from it. But I think that my dad and the rest of my family, and I don't think it was ever intentional. I think they were just living their passionate lives. And that was what was really driving them and fueling, fueling what they did on the weekends and in the summers. And it was, it was, uh, it's that nature versus nurture. And what I like to say is imprinting on, on people It imprinted on me. And it really took a long time for, for that to steer where my focus went as a lifestyle, as a career and, and everything else. Uh, when I was coaching ski racing and down in Colorado, I needed a, I needed a summertime job. And the, um, the, one of the outfits in, in Vail was running a mini hiring school for, for fly fishing guides. And I was like, I'll, I'll go, I guess I can go do that. And 
You're like, I grew up doing this. I, I yeah. How, this. <laughs> how hard could this be? And you know, my dad had taught me to row a boat when I was young. So that was no problem. And casting a fly rod was kind of not really a problem. And I think within the first day, John was like, yeah, you're hired where that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> so, and then that just kicked off. I had, ironically, I had started to veer in that direction. I've always wanted the cool job and both were cool jobs. And um, as you'll probably get out of me later, I'm fairly opinionated as many people are. And I, <laughs> Wait, differences, a, I, a fisherman is opinionated. Come yeah. On. Weird. Right. <laughs> and I tend to wear it fairly, fairly prominently on my, on my shirt sleeve, uh, <laughs> fairly regularly. So I kind of had a collision in the ski coaching industry to where it was just easier for me to leave and, and pursue fly fishing as a full-time career. So but did that there start was. in Colorado or did you, did you start, did you, did you migrate back to the West coast or where, where did it like kind of turn into a career from like summertime job to like, Hey, I'm going to do this, you know, kind of all day, every day. Yeah. I kind of started that last year. I was in Colorado, uh, had some really great guys. I was, I was guiding with down out of Telluride and, and we all had endeavors elsewhere in the country and the world that we were, that we were doing when we weren't there. And this is this I still laugh when I talk about this, but we had I had this crazy idea of building this thing called a website. <laughs> and, yeah, and it was like, yeah, I and like this thing <laughs> in like 1998 or something like that. I was like, let's build this thing, let's build this website. And what we'll do is we'll put each of us on it and we'll we'll set up individual emails that we can actually log into from wherever we are in the world and people can reach out to us and know where we are and how to get a hold of us. What do you think of that? And, you know, in 1997, 98, in our industry, <laughs> it was, it's pretty cutting edge, you know, you might, so. you might still be ahead of your time for, uh, for fly, <laughs> fly fishing. <laughs> I'm glad you're saying that, not me, Brian. <laughs> I totally yeah, I can, agree I with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally right. Uh, it's so funny. So that was that was kind of it. And when we moved to Seattle, uh, my wife, God bless her, gave me the long enough leash to either completely hang myself or to get this off the ground enough to be what we're, what we're doing today. So, oh, that's awesome. When did, when did the shop come about? Like, how many years into like kind of migrating back to Seattle? Were you like, you know what, fishing <sighs> isn't hard enough. I'm gonna open up a retail store. <laughs> yeah. If I could go back about eight and a half years, I might have, I might make a different decision with the vision I have now, but yeah, it was about, it was about eight years ago. I had one of my staff that was very like-minded that just kind of pushed me. Cause he didn't want to have to not, he didn't want to have to find another job through the, through the off season. Uh, because as a guide service, we just really couldn't keep an entire staff of people employed 12 months of the year and a flash shop tough. would have been a way to do that so the conversation started and here we are emerald water anglers popped up and hey, can you explain a little bit about it because when you go in there it, it it's your shop but it also kind of feels like a patagonia shop like what is that what is that relationship like is, is it exclusive to patagonia or, or what do you what do you carry in the shop uh, no, it's not exclusive to Patagonia. I'm obviously, you know, as a Patagonia ambassador, I want to embrace, uh, everything Patagonia stands for. And so that's kind of a natural partnership in that, in that respect. Uh, as far as what we carry though, it's completely up to me. And nice. I, you know, Brian, I, 
don't know if you as vividly remember this as I do, but you hand delivered the first delivery of your mirror cups to <laughs> our that, store. Yeah. You know, yeah, because I think it was uh, Ryan or Carly who work with your wife who were like, you got to meet Dave. Yeah, yeah, it's Carly. Yeah, Carly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I, remember yep. be, I remember first walking to your sh- shop and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and it was, you know, really, I chose to work with you back then because of exactly what you were doing in the very, you know, early stages of Mir. I was I was really impressed by the mission that was beyond, like you said, just selling another stainless steel cup and stuff to people. I, I, I loved it. It resonated with what I wanted to do with opening a, the store. So heck yeah. Well, I appreciate the, or you were like one of the early, early retail accounts for mirror. Most people like don't know this, but West, yeah. Se- West Seattle was a hotbed for mirror back in, what was this like 2012, 13? I, I was just going to ask if you yeah. remember what year this was. Oh, I think man. it was 13 or 14. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was super early on. And then one of your employee, well, I think she was one of your employees, Devin, uh, <laughs> recently came to work and she's now at mirror, which is kind of yep. cool. Which, uh, is why we all of a sudden have these lovely things. I saw uh, that come through. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Nice laser edge. Tumbler. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Dig it. And, and why did you lay roots in Seattle? You grew up in Oregon. Is that right? True. Yep. And I understand the fly fishing in Oregon is really hard to beat. So take us through that journey. Uh, That's a great question too. Um, We decided we were going to leave Colorado and we wanted to be closer to family, but uh, you'll appreciate this. Not too close. Yeah, not that close. (laughs) A state state line away or something. Yeah. Yeah, An area code away. (laughs) Which as soon as you have a kid, all of a sudden you're like, actually, we could be closer. A little closer would be good. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, so, here. Here you go. so we, um, so we ended up in Seattle cause we had a bunch of friends that had moved from Telluride and, uh, we had a little bit of a family here. I had a cousin and, and some aunts and uncles and my, uh, wife's brother lived here. So we had, we had a support team when we moved, which was kind of the draw and yeah. it was a new place. We're both fairly adventurous. We, we were, we were into trying new stuff. So. Makes sense. Yeah. That's rad. Did you, was this part of the consideration? I, I'm, I'm curious about like when your fly fishing tr- uh, travels took you around the world, but was Seattle, was the appeal of Seattle that you could like fly from Seattle to anywhere in the world? Was that also like, oh, I, that's a benefit <laughs> no. or did that just work out? I'd love to take credit for my visionary <laughs> for that being some part of my vision, but no, that, uh, that's very serendipitous. Um, it was Seattle was mostly because there was 12 months a year fishing here and the early, early, uh, idea behind Emerald water anglers was I was going to travel around and guide just in the places where it was prime time to be guiding in those different locations. And that worked for about a year. And, uh, my wife and the job I had at the time at REI was just like, no, you're not, you're not leaving for two months at a time every like three weeks. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, so the, as it turned out, Seattle is central to travel, but also to just being an extraordinary place that most of our community, the fly fishing community outside of steelhead doesn't fully appreciate the, uh, the potential here. So. Yeah. So for, for people tuned in who are not in Seattle or maybe are in Seattle like ourselves, uh, who don't know the plethora of rivers and fish, what's, what are some of the, like, what are some of your favorite areas or, you know, regions or rivers or fish that you like, what are you just like, I'm so glad I live here. Like, what are those places for you? 
Well, it used to be steelhead. Yeah. Um, steelhead have been had to say poorly managed over the last 50 years would be a, a horrible understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still, I still love those fish deeply. They're Washington state fish and we've done, uh, just an absolute deplorable job of taking care of them, of, uh, being, being stewards for them. So pretty disappointing. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think the main contributing factors to that? Is it like, you know, or just, yeah, without pontificating, what do you, what, what are, what, from your perspective, like what, what are some of the things that have been, you know, is it like dams? Is it permitting seasons overfished? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Oh, it's really hard to, yeah, it's really hard to point a finger at one particular uh, attribute to their decline, but there's a lot, you know, there's uh, predation, there's ocean acidification, there's loss of habitat in some cases, dams in some cases, over harvest, bad science. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of issues at, at hand there. So do you see any hope for, for steelhead in the future? Is there optimism to be had or is it kind of like, uh... yeah, I mean, I ha- you have to hope, right? Life, life's dependent upon hope. Yeah. So there, there is hope. The, the big thing that's going to really drive hope into reality is going to be make, you know, the human race in this area, making some very difficult decisions on our behalf where we maybe have to leave them well enough alone for a considerable period of time to just see if they can recover without our meddling. And that's that, you know, and I'm in the fishing business and I realize Mm -hmm. how incredibly difficult that's going to be for the, uh, the average angler, but, you know, a business that relies upon that is, you know, part of its bottom line it's an incredibly difficult decision to have to make, but it's one that if you have kids or if you have any idea of, of what you have now wanting to be a part of the future generations sort of livelihood, we have to do it. It's our responsibility too. Yeah. What, what species are doing well in Puget Sound? <laughs> Carp. <laughs> Bass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, no, I, so what you started with, Brian, I thought, I thought was a great, great question is, you know, when people fly into, into Seattle on a nice, bright, sunny summer day, they fly in over the top of Mount Rainier and they see all this water. And if they've ever grabbed a fly rod, held a fly rod in their hand, they think they just landed in Shangri-La. They're like, oh my God, look at all the water. It, yeah. There's so much of it. And and it's February and we're like, there's so much water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's even more water. There's uh, a down river sideways. In our, in our backyard. Right. Yeah. You can fly fish in the basement. Yeah. Rolling down the windows. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry, carry on. No, it's that's hilarious. But you know, so it's not all equal in the fly fishing realm, right? So we have huge rivers, but this, this has never been resident trout country. That's not a Montana on steroids or anything like that. Um, but what we do have are all these little, what we call blue lines and the cascades and the Olympics and, and what they are, you know, most of the time, small creeks that don't garner any attention on the internet, uh, that are home to wild little trout, oftentimes native trout. And, when you look at some of the pictures that we capture from some of the places that we fish and that we guide, it would, it's, it's 
very difficult for a lot of people to fathom that the, that a lot of those places are within an hour to hour and a half of downtown Seattle. They're yeah. stunning, absolutely stunning. So that's really our winning lottery ticket for fly angling in the in the state of Washington, in my opinion. Yeah, and then some of those streams are you doing like full on fly fishing? Are you doing like tenkara? Like what's this? What's the like both yeah. all? <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, anything you want. I think you know fly fishing is a as an activity outside gives everybody the opportunity to scratch whatever part of that itch they want to scratch. Uh, yeah. Tenkara is your deal. Uh, we've got a ton of places that are fabulous for it. If, you know, dry fly only is your deal, we've got the, in the summer, there really are fewer places, few places on the planet as, as well suited to it as, as here. Um, What's Tenkara? Is that a shorter cast? It's a Japanese style, uh, originated style of a, used to be a long cane pole with a fixed length of line attached to it. So you okay. don't have a reel. Mm -hmm. uh, so you telescope yourself to accommodate different distances within and back of the water. Uh, mm -hmm. And you typically are casting most of the time downstream of yourself and letting your subsurface fly swing and elevate through the water column. Mm -hmm. It became Tire, real popular. Yep. Yeah. When did, who became like, when did it become a thing? I just remember like, I don't know, eight years ago at an outdoor retailer, all of a sudden there was like Tenkara USA, Tenkara Canada, right. Tenkara Afghanistan. And it was like, everybody yeah. was in Tenkara. And then I, I don't know. I, I remember I was, you brought home a rod. I, yeah. I traded some product for a Tenkara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, Patagonia uh, took that up because Yvonne does a ton of it. Yeah. And actually partnered with a company to make some Patagonia Tenkara rods for a while. Yeah. And that, you know, that with Tenkara USA and Tenkara Co and a bunch of other places. And of course, social media today, it, it had a big splash. And I think it's kind of resettled into a place where it definitely has not gone away. It's still present. And the people that it really resonates with are, are feverish about it. And I think it's, I think it's yeah. fabulous. It gets them outside, which is great. I love how simple it is. That's probably, probably why Absolutely. I was attracted to it first where there's, there's no real, you don't have to worry about it. Jamming, spooling, you know, all that sort of thing. And Yep. And Yvonne, I mean, Yvonne, you know, you're like, oh, he, he does it. I got to figure this out too. Right? You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Whatever Yvonne does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you think it is about fly fishing that brings you back to it? Why do you keep returning to it over and over? Hmm. Boy. Uh, that's a great question, Rebecca. I, for me, I've, I've fished my whole life and I've done so much of it that honestly, full transparency, it's the beauty of the places that, that, uh, it that a fly rod can take you both locally and internationally. And as Brian was saying earlier, my perspective on the sport, I, I love to ca capture those esoteric values that surround where you're going to employ the fly rod. So picking up a camera, while guiding and fishing has been my savior. It's, it's kept me both feet in the water, literally and figuratively. Uh, and I, I just, I can't put my camera down anymore, fish for a little bit, but then I just see so many things through, through my eyes of what I want to tell the rest of the world about where I am, that I feel compelled to pick the camera up as soon as I can and start capturing that stuff, tell mm -hmm. those stories. When did, when did the, when did the photography or like picking up a camera become a thing, like a, a passion? Is that, was that like, was that like an, an adulthood, childhood? Like where did that come to the fold? I took a photography class in seventh grade 
And then when I met my wife, she was, she was pretty good photographer actually, and had a camera and I didn't really touch it then, but ironically, I was guiding a guy in Colorado on the black Canyon. And he said to me, it was salmon fly hatch. And he was, you know, kept missing fish because he was looking up at the Canyon walls and like staring at stuff. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're supposed to be fishing. Like, Oh, <laughs> do you see that fish? He just missed, man, what are you doing? You know, and he finally looks, turns and looks at me and he points and he goes, so Dave, see that cave up there. Do you think the Utes used to use that for shelter when they'd pass through here? And I looked at him like, I have no idea. And I don't really care. <laughs> like, 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 you know, I'm 24 or whatever. When I said that to him and he goes, do you have a beer in the, in the cooler? I'm like, yeah. He's like, let's go, let's go sit down and have a chat. So we go sit down on the bank and have a beer. And he says, you know, do you know why I'm down here? And I said, if you're here on the best week of the year, every year, salmon fly hatch to fish, obviously he's like, oh, I can afford to be here when I, when it's perfect. Yes. He goes, but I want to like, I'm intrigued by all this. This is what brings me back every year. Every time I'm down here, I see some new little cave in the wall that I didn't see the year before. I, something's different. It's, it's spectacular. He's like, if you were really going to be a good guide for like, if you wanted to really do this forever, couple couple of points of interest you should one learn some geology and some history two you should pick up a camera i can't fish and do all this other stuff and take pictures of myself and enjoy everything but if you're sitting there and i'm fishing or there's something there and you can actually capture some of this and send them to me afterwards now you're starting to embody what a real guide should be. And that was just a full 90 degree tangent for my career right then. How did that, I'm curious how that landed. Cause like, you know, you, you know, you say, you know, you're very uh, transparent with how you feel about things and at the ripe at old age of 24, there might've been a knee jerk reaction to be like, ah, you know, I can do my own thing. I'm just here to fish, blah, blah, blah. What, what, what struck a chord with you to listen to that. Cause I mean, I remember, you know, remember being in my twenties and oftentimes didn't want to listen to people who gave advice like that. <laughs> right. Uh, no, it's, it's funny. Cause I started to, I just started to pay a little bit closer attention. I always know, always knew the place was gorgeous. You know, it's, it's such a stunning, it's one of the, it's one of the top multi-day float camp trout trips you can do in the country period. It's, it's gorgeous. And I just, after he said that we had another beer and I started, I started just kind of thinking about it, I chewed on it for the next two days. Cause I got to spend, you know, the next two nights and two days with him after that. And, and, uh, came back home and I grabbed my wife's camera and started taking pictures. And then, uh, a couple of my clients still today, I would, I would do that for, and then I would take my favorite picture that I never sent to them and I'd make a little card out of it and I'd tape the fly that they were going to use on their next trip out to fish with us and send it to them at the holidays and just say, Hey, can't wait to see you this summer. And when I did that yes. for that guy, yeah. When I did that for that guy, he came back the next year and he said, that's what I'm talking about. 
He's wow. like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's why I'm here again. Oh, that's, that's such a game changer. It's interesting because I, I went fishing this last fall. Um, man, I, I'm so bad with rivers over on the, uh, on the peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you know, most rivers connect to the ocean. Uh, yep. So it was one of those rivers that connected the ocean uh, that you fish salmon on. And it was by Forks. The hoe. The I think it was the hoe. I think yeah. it was the hoe. Yeah, anyway. And it was kind of a crusty guide. Not, you know... I kind of expected it, um, but it was so <laughs> funny because I went there. I, my my uh, my COO and I took our uh, our warehouse team there because um, they love they're obsessed with fishing. They love it, and they've just been working super hard during COVID and everything. And so we treated them uh, to a nice little fishing trip. And it was interesting because when we're there, I'm like missing all sorts of fish. He's like, "Oh, you got to, oh, you just, miss, you know." He's like, he's like getting mad at me for missing these fish, and uh, <laughs> like, like he's kind of offended that I'm not catching catching these fish. And, right. and I wasn't there. I mean, I was there to fish, right? But I was also there because it's like beautiful, it's quiet. And I turned to him and I said, and I, and I won't say his name. And I said, I said, "Hey, do you hear that?" He stops. And he's like, "No." And I go, "Exactly." <laughs> that's why I'm here. And it was so funny. I don't know if it clicked with him, but you know, for some, you know, I think he was like, everybody wants to catch the fish and he's paid to get the fish. And I was like, Hey man, if we catch a fish, awesome. If we don't, I'm not worried about it. Cause I'm in the sun, which is surprising on the hoe. It was a sunny day in the fall, right. very rare. And I'm just soaking up the sun, enjoying the day. And it was quiet. And there were bald eagles flying around catching fish. And that was like, that's part of the reason I go fishing is not to catch the fish is to be in the beauty of, of the world. <laughs> no, I think that's, I mean, I think that that's really why most people should go fishing. You know, it does expose you to a, a part of our planet that you would otherwise not see driving to and from work, unless you're as lucky as me to row a boat for that, for your job. Um, but it's the, the sad part of our industry is that we've fallen in and the internet, I, I blame fairly wholeheartedly for this is there's this like not necessarily said verbatim, but very obvious competition among people in the same area. And unfortunately they all believe it's the result that's going to ensure that customers come back, that clients come back. And in some cases, I think that that's going to be completely true, but at least for me, I don't want to spend my time with the people that are so heavily reliant on a result to make or break an experience in the outdoors that my, you know, cause it's not really me that's going to make or break them catching a fish. Sometimes there's just not a fish to be caught. Right. <laughs> and so some people get that some people don't. And so the people that understand that you're doing everything you can to ensure that they have a wonderful time out there, uh, see things, experience things here again, some history, some entomology, some, um, you know, current state of affairs of what's going on in that watershed or in the surrounding areas and stuff like that. I think if you wear that heavily on your shirt sleeve, you're going to find the people that that resonates with, and you're going to end up with people in your boat with you that have a very shared vision for what that experience is going to be. And at that point, there's, you almost would have to try to have it be a bad experience. It's going to be, I'm giving all of my time and all of my energy to make sure that they have the best time possible. And there's just no way that that ends up not being a great experience. Totally. Oh, that's like such a parallel to 
building a business or a brand because like you're building a brand and you're, you're hoping for repeat customers and having this great experience. And it's, I, I think similarly with the business, it's like, yeah, we want people to have a good result totally. drinking from our product, but I also want people to hopefully become aware of, you know, the generosity that we're embodying, but also they can learn about the, you know, whether it's clean water projects or environmental causes or whatever it is that, that we, you know, kind of peak that peak their interest in something that's greater beyond just like drinking from a stainless vessel. Cause at the end of the day, it's literally a piece of stainless steel. That right. is a commodity. So what do we build around that commodity? And not to say that fish is our commodity, but like, you know, food is kind of a commodity. And so therefore, what is the experience that you build around it? And I think, I think that's, I think you're wise to, I mean, the whole thing about the postcard and the, you know, the fly, like that, those things are like so basic. I'm not trying to like demean you or me by saying like, these are basic things that we do, but it's so fascinating to me in the short life I've lived that so many people miss these really obvious things that you could do to generate repeat customers that are, that are fairly easy to do, but they just take a little bit of effort, you know, just like learning the camera, you know, or just like a fly going onto a postcard. Like those are, those in and of itself are not complex tasks. Nope. And yet when you put that all together, it creates this beautiful experience and it attracts yeah. like-minded people. So I don't know, hats off to you for figuring that out. <laughs> Thank you. I, <laughs> I lucked into it, I guess. I think my dad had a fairly sizable impact on me in that regard. So that, that was helpful again, unbeknownst to me at the time. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm curious, I'm curious, uh, pivoting a little bit, but where are some of the places around the world that you, that you have fished? I'm always curious. Like when I think of fly fishing, I'm always like Montana Pacific Northwest. And then I was, my eyes were opened up. I was fishing out in Westport uh, for tuna and there was some dude on the front of a boat fly fishing for tuna. And I yep. was like, that's possible. And then I watched him catch a massive tuna on the fly and i was i was shocked and then you know as i've yep. looked at photos and whatnot i'm like oh wow you can catch a whole wide variety of fish fly fishing <laughs> that that you can um yeah we do tuna every year out there on a fly it's it's one of those things that again our community gets so hyper focused on on what our industry purveys as the the um apex species to chase with a fly rod we lose sight of all the vibrancy surrounding it tuna on a fly yeah go get your ass handed to you why not um that would send me overboard for sure uh, we'd have a hold we'd have a hold of you (laughs) (laughs) i mean mean, it is uh, tuna in specifically i don't want to veer too far off of your question but tuna (laughs) specifically like you're casting a big heavy 12 weight rod a huge fly a heavy sink tip on a giant boat that's rocking back and forth you're trying not to throw up you're trying to balance and you're trying to play this fish that bends the rod clear to the cork it it, if you look at fly fishing and as an assemblance of a bunch of different skill sets there are few that you know fish you can chase that really put more of those in play at the same time than tuna especially in the pacific northwest they're fantastic for that so um yeah, I've been fortunate. Camera and everything that I've done has allowed me to make some friends around the world. And I've got, I've had the privilege of fishing some incredible places. And I think Greenland is probably still one of my favorites just because of the nature of where that place is. And, and, uh, it, you hear about the ice cap up there, but until you fly over it and fish next to it, it's, it's stunning. Something it's, else. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like the fishing again is like big deal char. Yeah. <laughs> we have them here, but the getting there and the experience and everything that's it's 
I, it should be atop everybody's bucket list, really. That's a pretty phenomenal place. Oh, that's so cool. That's similar. I feel like I'm drawing all these parallel paths, but I feel like they're so relevant where it's like, the business is like exciting and great. It's the people and the travel to the, you know, Japan and like going there and meeting those people. It's like, yeah, the, you know, let's conduct the business, but let's go have a meal and, you know, share a beer or, you know, some sake or whatever. And it's like, yeah. those are the experiences that really make the whole kind of thing come together. Um, totally. Were you, I can't remember if I watched a film on this or if you were, were you fly fishing for salmon in Russia or was that something else I was watching? Was that, that might've been another ambassador video I was watching uh, a while ago. No, I haven't chased Atlantics in Russia. We did, um, we did a piece in Bhutan. Uh, oh, maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. Powered the river that I actually, I think I shared with Henry uh, leading up to this. We did a trailer on that and um, trying to stop a dam from going in over there. Uh, for those who don't know, Bhutan is squeezed between China and India, and they had to sort of draw an allegiance to one of those two superpowers for their banking and their security and stuff like that. So they aligned with India. So India supports their monetary system and provides military support and all that stuff. But it also taps all of their natural resources when they get the chance, including damming every single freaking river in the country almost. So, wow. so there was one river in particular that we went over there to try to do a film on and give them a tool by which to spread the word within the country to maybe stop the stop India from damming this one, one really special river over there. The King has usually spent time fly fishing on. Mm -hmm. um, it was, was a pretty powerful successful? time. No, I'm, I don't know that the dam has been built, but considering how far down the path they were when we were there, I doubt that it's stoppable. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. That's so. um, it's almost a little bit similar. Well, I don't know if I haven't been to Bataan, but uh, when we were in Liberia, it was quite shocking to see Chinese everywhere there. Here we are in like Western Africa and there's Chinese everywhere. We're like, wait, yep. what's going on here? And they're like, oh, well, you know, we, uh, China's help helping out with our oil fields in the coast region and in exchange, yeah. they're building a highway for us. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I don't know if this is a fair exchange or right. not. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, definitely some interesting things going around the world as far as you know, extraction of things. But as I remind people, everything is either grown or mined. You know, I think, right. I think people forget about that. Everything is grown or mined. And so, you know, it all everything has an impact, you know. And so how we how we choose to impact the planet is, you know, entirely up to the human race. Completely. For, for better, for worse. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, take us through your conservation efforts and I mean what you've seen and you know, been inspired to try to protect. I mean the this particular river in Bhutan being one of those? Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to do on that front is I'm trying to use fly fishing as this, actually, I don't even know where to start on this. I, this may, this may <laughs> bounce all over the place. Okay, <laughs> do it. Um, bounce, bouncing yeah. around. Yeah. So <laughs> I think by, by the virtue of fly fishing, you're, you're choosing to place yourself in the epicenter of nature constantly. And I, I, I've engaged in a myriad of sports that involve the outdoors. There's few that put you in a place that is typically so raw and, and genuinely untouched by humans normally that, that you can't feel like there's some degree of impact by our presence there. And as you start to do it more, you start to go to places that you know, because of the arduousness of getting to them, you believe are going to be that much more pure. And then when you get there, there's 
trails up and down the river and you see garbage and stuff in the, you know, in places and in places you would never expect to see that. And so I'm trying to take our, do it at least this, I'm not, I'm going to step back a half, half a step. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to express the idea, the notion that as a fly angler, we have the opportunity to engage with as minimal impact as possible in so many different ways that by not choosing to do that, we're just being semi-irresponsible, if not completely irresponsible. And, and I think that that happens in a number of ways. And this segues into the business conversation you too, like that we've been hinting at is what products are you purchasing to go engage in this activity? Uh, where are they made and what are they made with and what's the process by which they have got to where you pick them up and who made and them? I, <laughs> yeah, who made them and how were they, how were they shipped and you know there's just so many different little minor intricacies that most consumers just take for granted. They just go to the store and buy something. They don't pay very close attention a lot of times to the path of you know, when it was, whenever it was, whatever it was they were, but they bought whatever was produced, mined, grown, manufactured, whatever extracted, and then reproduced and brought to here, that path is kind of behind them, right? It's out of sight, out of mind. And so I'm just trying to see if there's a way that we in our sport can start to, in a grassroots way, drive the people that we engage with, i.e. the manufacturers to be more thoughtful in how they're driving their business. You know, where are they having their stuff made? Where are they shipping it from? Is there alternatives to them doing that in a way where they can have a smaller carbon footprint in the process? Um, and I'm, I'm accelerating through that really quickly, but, but that's, that's really what I'm trying to do. And for the casual angler, this is an opportunity to think a little bit more critically on how they're doing it as well. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to highlight some of that stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I don't even, I don't think we have enough time to go into all of my, all the threads in my brain on that, but. Yeah. How is, how is it different? So if somebody's booking a trip with you uh, as opposed to uh, another guide or another service, right? So what's, what's kind of a different, channel that you've chosen to take when somebody engages, you know, with you and your staff? Uh, it's probably, it's a, it's probably not that much different, uh, on the surface. Uh, we, we went carbon neutral like you, like you did, uh, this last year, which means that, uh, and in the past we've always carpooled so that we can take one more car off of the, off the roads in the process of traveling to and from our fisheries this year that had to change. Uh, but with the carbon neutrality, we are at least offsetting what we're putting into the environment. Uh, so it's in theory kind of leveling our, our footprint there. We got lucky enough that our, that our half of our offsets this year actually were able to take place in King County. Nice. which is obviously the goal to try to buy the offsets or do the offsets as close to where you do business as possible. Yeah. Uh, on our international travel, we bear the burden of offsetting all of our clients travel. So not just mine, but 
if 12 of us are flying to the Seychelles, we offset all 12 people's <clears throat> footprint there. Nice. Um, so that's, that's one way. Uh, another is just, again, through some, through the products that we're, that we're engaging with, where most of us are using Patagonia, which Patagonia has a little bit more of a eye for responsibility in that, in that department than a number of our other, um, vendors that you could engage with in our, in our, uh, industry. Um, you just, that's really what it comes down to is instead of relying on what manufacturers marketing tells the consumer to come in and buy, we're going the other way around and, and choosing to put in front of the customers, the products that live up to what we want them to live up to for, uh, that, that, um, consumer to retailer, uh, relationship. Yeah. are also taking it a step further in their companies as often as we can make it happen that are cognizant of their footprint as well and are striving towards carbon neutrality or trying to be more thoughtful in all those processes we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The thing that I learned about um, being climate neutral or carbon neutral that's interesting that I hadn't really thought about is, you know, the, the critic is like, well, you shouldn't do anything, like don't do anything because you're just like offsetting and offsets aren't really like solving the problem. And it's like, well, right. yeah, but you know, we're not going to shut down our business tomorrow. Uh, it's just, you know, people need to make a living. Things have to move. We're trying to do the best that we can and, and, and hopefully make a better product than our competitors and obviously do so by offsetting carbon. But I think what's interesting when you self-impose a tax on yourself like this, whether it's 1% for the planet or, or climate neutral, you then naturally, I think as a, as a business owner, you try to like reduce that burden, so to speak. Meaning if we're going to take all three scopes of being carbon neutral, and then we evaluate our supply chain, we're going, okay, if we're making something in uh, Asia and then it's shipping to the US, but then someone in Japan wants it, like, could we, instead doing that kind of triangulated thing, could we just go from like Japan to Korea or China to Korea, you know, like, so then you start to solve things that maybe you would not have solved if you hadn't imposed the tax on yourself because you weren't even focused on it, you know? So like trying to actually be a little bit more thoughtful about, um, you know, the supply chain, I think is something that hopefully it's, because I think I think with climate neutral, I'm, I might mix up the order, but it's like offset, measure, and then reduce, or it's offset, reduce, measure. I can't remember which way, but it was very intentional about which way. I was just like, hey, we all recognize that we're trying to do business. So let's offset what we're doing. But then let's measure how we're doing it. And then let's find ways to figure out how to reduce it, whether, you know, COVID, uh, albeit very painful for a lot of individuals, one benefit, no travel this year. Um, yep. And look, we can actually get things done. So it'll be interesting as we, you know, kind of unfreeze the economy as trade shows start happening again of, well, maybe we don't need to go to twice a year outdoor retailer. I don't know, you know, maybe we do, but it's, it's just been interesting to kind of think about those things in the last year. No, I, I totally agree with you. The idea of, and I, I don't think I could say it any more eloquently than that, but when you do start to look critically at how you operate, you, if you already know in your mind that you want to be better, it, you know, as soon as you start, like you said, penalize yourself or tax yourself, it puts you in a place that most people otherwise wouldn't go. And yeah. it's one of the things that I'm finding most frustrating in our industry is carbon neutral sounds. Number one, there's going to be the gigantic, you know, stadium full of naysayers about it, but it's the best we can do at the moment yeah, until totally. we figure out carbon extraction and carbon collection and, and ultimately get to where we just are putting out as little as possible. 
through yeah. different, uh, you know, through, anyway. So I totally agree with you. I love being able, it's the challenge of looking at how you can be better at the same business that you're doing. Yeah. Still be everything you want to be, if not more. Yeah. I really like that because there are the critics who say, you know, why, why even try, uh, you know, offsetting as a joke or whatever, but it's a, it's a stepping stone to the next iteration of that. Yeah. And maybe we can't get to that next place without, you know, what's available to us now. So well, I'd like to see that, that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd like to see that the, that this is, um, we're the tip of the spear right now. Right. So we drive this until we get to a place where all of a sudden we go to offset and offset capabilities are fewer than what the demands are. Well, that's going to drive innovation to figure out how to complement and is eventually overtake offsets and become better at just removing the carbon from the atmosphere period or collecting it and figuring out a different way to dilute it so that it doesn't have the impact that it currently has. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we won't get there until we start to drive that spear further and further into this problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's take, yeah, it's, it's about taking that next best, next best step. And it's, um, it's interesting when you go to trade shows, you always kind of run into the most interesting people. I think <laughs> <laughs> I remember somebody trying to give me an earful about how climate change wasn't real. And I was like, can I just, can I ask you a question? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, so you don't think the climate's changing at all? And they're like, no, it's not happening. And I was like, okay, well, just so you know, either way it's changing. Like you gotta, you gotta like look at that positive or negatively it's changing. Right. And then the next question is, even if, even if it's changing, do you not think that the responsible thing to do would be to like take care of your own business? Meaning that like, it would be a good thing to do for businesses to be more responsible or to like reduce the amount of usage of something of a potentially finite resource. Like, don't you think that's a good idea irregardless of whether temperatures are, are, are falling or rising, right? And they like, they were so mired in like the rhetoric that they couldn't even see past the idea of just like, you know, it's like, okay, great. Minimum wage is X. Well, yeah, you could pay somebody minimum wage, but if you can find a way to pay them a bit more or to coach them into something that would help be able to make that like they can make more money through something, like, wouldn't that be a good thing to do? And it's so interesting when you try to draw a parallel, it was finally like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see that. Like, maybe that is a good thing. Like when you can take the political nature of it out and just talk about the responsibility of, of a business. And also that like, I mean, this is where it's like, okay, is it, is it government? Is it private businesses, like, you know, what's gonna be more effective. And I just wish more businesses would opt into it because I think collectively like businesses will move much quicker than governments or, or tax or, you know, forcing people to do these things that it's like, Hey, just, just take care of your own kind of sandbox, so to speak. But yep. anyway, no, I'll, I was listening. I'll jump off my soapbox. No, no, <laughs> it's, it's funny. You're saying that. Cause I mean, it, if you're, if you're looking at, you know, what's happening in the U S right now at this 30,000 foot level, just in the last six or eight weeks, as soon as it was a certain that Biden was going to take the presidency, holy crap, it was what, two weeks after that, that GM came out and said that they're going to, that they were going to try to be carbon neutral or something by 2035 or 2040. Yeah. And that so was a, and that was a company that four years ago or eight years ago fought tooth and nail to try to 
keep any impositions on on fuel attributes of the vehicles that they were going to produce to a minimum. And now after four years of having Trump remove all of those things, they're the first company to immediately come out and say, we're on this, we're moving in that direction, period. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how private business or public, you know, public trade companies for that matter, uh, step up in ways, irregardless of what, what governments do or don't do, right? Because as we've, as we've seen, government policy changes year in and year out. I mean, not, not every single year it's seesawing back and forth, but every four years, every eight years. And it's like, well, maybe business, if it's a huge piece of the economy, is the one that can be responsible. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, w- I would think <laughs> I'd like to believe it'll drive, like everything else, it'll drive a policy change. When because whether you like to believe it or not, how people spend their money really is as much or more powerful of a vote than going to the ballot box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe more powerful. Yeah, I believe it's more powerful. And so yeah. when you see companies of that size with, you know, how many people they have employed in DC lobbying on their behalf for whatever is going to be, you know, most suited to them, um, to have a company of that size go about the idea of going carbon neutral and producing zero carbon emission vehicles by a certain time frame, you have to believe that that's going to change the rhetoric and what's acceptable in Congress. And eventually our policy will be driven by what business is trying to do. It, cur- it is currently, period. Totally. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see as um, labeling becomes more prevalent. Uh, because I even feel like, I mean, we were doing climate neutral or carbon, I should say carbon neutral offsets at Stevens Pass in like, gosh, that was like 2006, maybe 2006, 2007. Wow. We were offsetting all of Stevens Pass um, carbon emissions through, um, I believe it was wind energy at the time. Um, but people like people were just like, what, just like over the head. And now it's like, you actually, I think walk into a major retailer and probably or whole foods or whatever, and actually see a fair bit of labeling of climate neutral, carbon neutral, um, you know, Amazon's climate pledge. Like we're starting to see this momentum. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to be optimistic. I am optimistic. I think we're, like I said, I think we're at the early onset of where, um, climate change becomes less of the rhetoric and and what we start to focus more on is how our footprint looks and people start to become educated through big retailers like Walmart and stuff like that, where all of a sudden the person that you would never expect to pay any attention to that sort of thing, all of a sudden has an innate knowledge of of, uh, what that means and what they can do. And they start being even choosier within the aisles of a big box retailer like that of what they buy that's going to be in that's going to be a positive effect for everyone mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. and totally. i think that's coming i just think that people are so scared still and um hand you know arm's length about offsets and carbon neutrality because it's still a foreign concept they just don't mm-hmm. really understand what it means and why yeah there's greenwashing and there's you know there's lots of money that we don't know where it is or isn't spent you know windmills are disrupting bird patterns and whether that's true or not or you know uh uh you know lithium-ion batteries extract you know the extraction process or the mining process of 
a lithium in Brazil or whatever, you know, it should, you know, like there's all these implications that I think we, you know, we're still trying to work out and understand totally. like how long does a battery last? What happens after the battery is done? And, right. you know, and I think the technology there will be interesting to see if people get better and better about reusing batteries or like refurbishing batteries. Um, right. If it's possible there, to do if it. Yeah. If it's possible. Cause there is a bit of like, all right, we're switching to EV, but let's not kid ourselves that like these minerals are being extracted around the world and then shipped right. with crude oil. To yeah, make it's, to make us feel better about right. ourselves. You know? It's still not a clean process by any means, yeah. but again, nothing ever, nothing virtuous really ever starts out. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, right. That's, that's good. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. I yeah. think. Yeah, I think if I'm a pessimist, I ask myself, or I, I say to myself, okay, I know there's money flying around in this exchange. Like, who is profiting from this? And probably in a way that maybe isn't ethical. Um, but going back to how complicated all of this can be, that's one thing I really appreciate about the climate neutral certified mark that we have. It really breaks it down and makes it digestible in a way that um, that communicates, you know, that you don't have to be a scientist to understand how offsets can work. And and yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are still, you know, dirty aspects to it but um but it, it, it's a start it's that it's that first next step which yeah. if you were to say that 10 times in a row it wouldn't first next step first next step i already messed up the first one that's next step yeah that's next step, what yeah. uh what who did you go through to get your certification for that um so we we um we engaged with um I'm totally blanking on the guy's name, but uh, BioLite, Jonathan at BioLite, and um, totally blanking Peak Design founder. Um, anyway, they started Climate Neutral certified. They started a, a, a nonprofit, um, and I'm totally blanking on where we did a methane capture for our offsets. Uh, I think in Oregon or Washington, I can't remember exactly. Um, but they break it into. They have a great calculator online for some of the more difficult scopes of understanding. You know shipping and you know how much carbon does a freighter over the ocean emit and you know all those sort of calculations that yep. can kind of be scary but there's there's been some advancement over the last several years on like how to properly calculate that yep um and and, and unfortunately the dirty secret is that like uh, stip, uh steam steam shippers are they're not steam they're they're car they're <laughs> they're gas shippers um i don't know why they're called steam shippers but anyway um i digress the um <laughs> the uh it's the dirtiest they're the dirtiest polluters of kind of that uh, uh method of shipment meaning they're in international waters and there's no regulation so therefore they're right. just burning the crudest of oil uh because it's cheap and they're trying to provide low shipping rates and obviously businesses want lower shipping rates because it's lower cost of goods which leads to greater gross margin which you know makes investors you know there's always like implications right so it's yeah. understanding that piece of it they do a good job of of calculating what that is um and so they give i think they give you the option to do scopes one two or three or all of them and you know, we just bit the bullet and said, you know, we're going to do all three scopes. Um, it's just kind of rip the bandaid off and, and, you know, we're going to absorb it kind of like 1% for the planet. We're just, you know, we're going to commit to it. And and here we are several years later of, I don't want to say we don't think about it because we, we talked about it. And to be quite honest, when COVID hit, we're like, oh my gosh, like, should, should we be doing this? Cause we have a responsibility to our employees to keep them employed. And, yeah. you know, we also felt we have a responsibility to, to, to do the right thing and to the environment. So um, we, we, we ended up doing it. Uh, yeah. I'm glad we did too. Yeah. I want to say they formed in 2019 and in early 2020, we received the results of our assessment 
Mm-hmm. And then of course COVID hit and our, our payment came due for the offset. And yeah, we, we ultimately went through with it, but yeah. it was, like, it was a, this is yeah, a bit of a dilemma there for a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you got, you guys, business was really down 90% for that. Yeah. I mean, like March, it just absolutely <laughs> fell off a cliff. Um, you know, cafes are closing and, you know, people, yeah. Purchase orders are getting canceled, and you know nobody really knew. I, 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 it felt I, like a freeze. It felt like everything froze on ice. Yeah, and there was this early on. I don't know if you remember this, but like people were, you know, just how long does COVID sit on surfaces? Right. You know, and so then we're like, oh my gosh, like reusable drinkware is done. Like, yeah. like it's done. People are never going <laughs> right. to drink. They're always going to drink disposables. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was kind of our biggest like knee jerk reaction of like, wow, this could be really, really bad. It, it wasn't as bad. As, it ended up not being as bad as we thought it would be. Fortunately, um, you know, and like a lot of things, I think maybe we overreacted at the beginning and, you know, was it good? Was it bad? Uh, you know, it's hard to, hard to say, but it's um, I'll just say, I think it's interesting that in the last couple months or even in the fall, we found out ways to do business more productively and cases were much higher than they were in March when everything just came to a screeching halt because we didn't have enough, we didn't have enough knowledge or data. Right. And it was like, do you remember early on? I was like, don't wear a mask, but do wear a mask, but don't wear a mask. But if you do wear a mask and make sure it's double cloth, but if it is, it's not effective. And we're like, well, uh, do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Ah, I don't know. You know, and then somehow it became a political thing. And <laughs> um, yeah, all that to say, we ended up doing climate neutral. Very glad we did it. Um, It'll be interesting to see as we do our calculation for 2020, if it's, if it's, I, I would imagine it's going to be less because, um, yeah. you know, air travel is a huge contributor. Um, obviously, we flew nowhere in 2020. Right. Uh, well, I guess the first, you know, like the first month, we probably flew to a couple of shows, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, we joined 1% this year, too. Nice. Um, <laughs> and I actually, you know, I was, and again, air travel was literally half of our offset liability last year. Yeah. Almost yeah. to the dime. It was, it was half of our footprint. So yeah, ours should be smaller, but Craig said something. Uh, I was supposed to be in Costa Rica with a group in September and instead we met in Montana and I, um, I kind of spearheaded everybody to go where I wanted to go so I could see people that I otherwise don't get to see, uh, Hillary <laughs> Hutchison and, and uh, I'd always wanted to meet Craig Matthews, who's co-founder of 1%. And um, so I got a hold of him. And fortunately, he's, he's literally a, a teenager at heart and in mind still. So he's <laughs> just so excited to meet somebody that, that uh, wants to just fish or talk or do whatever. And, and um, man, he's, he's just so exuberant and passionate about why 1% is such a great idea. And, and, uh, he said, but he said something, one thing in particular that really resonated with me, which was ironically, Devin reached out to me literally probably three weeks after I got back from that trip. Um, but he said, you know, the, the cool part about it is if you're doing business with other one percenters, it means it's at least 2%. Yeah. So totally. it multiplies as you continue to be more thoughtful in who you engage in your business with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has that network effect. So if like we're 1% totally and then Patagonia is buying from us and they're 1%, it's just like, doo, doo, doo. Yep. and yeah. I'm buying from them and provisions of your product. So, yeah. Oh man, we got like a four X going on. I we do. It. Right. It's pretty cool. <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, so when yeah. Craig said that he, his eyes got really big and he was just like, 
And then the, then this happens and then, oh my gosh, did I tell you about this? And like, I think I said like 15 words the whole five hours I was with him. But uh, I came back and I told him I, had, I was like, okay, I go back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join 1%. And Devin reached out. And so I am excited about being in business with you guys um, for a myriad of reasons, uh, mm-hmm. but more so because uh, I think you guys do an awesome job of, of having a meaning behind every product that you're building, which is. Who are some of the, uh, thank you. Yeah. Who are some of the nonprofits you've identified through the 1% network? Uh, so the ones I'm the one I'm the primary one I'm going to work with is wild steelhead coalition. Okay. Um, they're exclusively set out to try to protect our state fish in the, in the North. Well, I would say Washington, but it's really, they're, they're trying to do it everywhere. Wild steel that exists. So from yeah. Southeast Alaska down to California. So, um, that's great. Puget Soundkeeper Alliance is probably the other one that I, that I really like to stay close to. That's, that's my other fishery in the state that I'm extremely fond of. I don't think I could ever move from Seattle cause I'd never find anything like it again. And we're, yeah. we're blessed beyond belief to have that watershed as close as, as close to us as we do. Uh, it brings a lot of vitality to our life here, even though so many people don't necessarily understand why or engage with it. It truly does. Yeah. Well, and you've got a broken bridge, so you're really stuck in West Seattle. <laughs> this is, it's not West Seattle anymore. It's uh, East Vashon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that one. That's good. Oh man. What is it like 2030? The, the West Seattle bridge will be rebuilt or fixed or whatever. Yeah. What is the year? Uh, Durkin actually said the other day that she's planning to try to have it re reestablished by 23 hmm. by, okay. by mid mid 2022. So I'm giving it 23. So we're a couple years out. Yeah. And then are they redoing the whole thing or are they just uh, retrofitting sure just whatever? Fixing it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll be a retro. Yeah. For all you non-Seattleites, there's a bridge that connects Seattle to West Seattle I don't really know what happened, but apparently it cracked and yeah. almost fell down. Didn't fall down, fortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Fortunately. Yeah. Uh, it's just a six lane bridge that connects yeah. our little yeah, no part of town to the rest of the city. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's but been great for business. Anyway, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, we have a coworker who lived in West Seattle for a time and they just bought a house in Tacoma. And oh, yeah. Yeah, they got out of there. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, well, we're close on time. Brian, do you have any last minute burning questions? I have one for you guys really quick. When can we go fishing? Yeah, well, we need to do that. I have one for you really quick, though, before we burn out. Yeah, yeah. So on these mugs, the mug colors all are a different give. Yeah, yeah. Can you uh, explain? I don't know if you guys have covered this in other podcasts, but I'd love to know more about what drives what you guys did on the color, because I think it's brilliant. Oh, thank you. I wish I could take credit for it. But I can't. Um, one of our, actually, I think it was my, uh, our, one of our first employees, uh, Mr. Josh. Actually, I think he came up with the idea. We were talking about color, and our our uh, retailers have been asking for it, and we had honestly been like, I just, I'm a, I'm simple, black and white. Like this room that we're in, black and white, right? Uh, <laughs> I love just, I love simplicity. So black and white, and we kind of rode that train for a while, uh, and. We, you know, our customers like, we want color. And we're like, wow, you know, and they're like, everybody has color. And I'm like, okay, I guess we'll do color, but I don't want to do it like everybody else. You know, I don't want to just name it like rainbow and uh, watermelon and lilac and uh, just random color naming. And so Josh is like, what if we tied every single one of our colors to a giving project 
And I was like, that's brilliant. Like, that's totally what we should do. And so then we started noodling around and um, the, ho- the home that you were holding up, um, what we call it home from um, uh, Carl, Carl Sagan's, Carl Sagan's essay. essay of pale blue, the pale blue dot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just like looking back on the earth and this pale blue dot of, you know, humanity. And so we did it. We, I think we did a grant with Patagonia, uh, was it protect our winners? I can't remember the exact nonprofit. Well, so, so every color is actually inspired by a piece of our impact story. And so for home, it was related to our climate neutral certification. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, and then some, some of the other colors are more less around like a, like a brand commitment and more aligned to, um, maybe a particular grant that we issued for, um, like our spark, the neon yellow color is, um, kind of attributed to some of our work we've done in India, um, with nonprofit partner splash, um, and so on and so forth. So they're, they're really each color is sort of a celebration of, you know, positive impact that we've been able to make on the world in some way. And we definitely want to carry that forward with future, future colors as well. Yeah. Um, I dig it. Yeah. It's, Thank you. Yeah. It, it was really fun. I helped kind of craft some of that message and it was really fun to look back in the archives and, 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 you know, just reflect on what we've been able to do together as a, as a community. So that's, that's awesome. Ed, yeah. I, yeah. I'm not going to lie and I'm just going to come out and say it, but I, when I started looking more into what you guys are doing with that, it, it again, flipped one more switch in my head about what I can do with, with Emerald water anglers and oh, try nice. to figure out how every single product in our store has a story behind it. Um, oh, cool. Maybe not as in the same respect of what you guys are doing with the color, but I just, I want every, I want every product to have more meaning behind it than just a finished product that someone uses. It's got to come from somewhere special, mean something special, come from Mm -hmm. a company that's got something special or is doing something special. Like I just want everything to have a little more soul to it. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm leveraging my credit to you guys for kind of driving that into (laughs) my head. So thank you. Happy to. Yeah. I've always envisioned our brand of like, you know, if we're doing it right, mirrors like an onion where it's like a beautiful onion, I'll say it, right? Like, and not <laughs> funny looking onions, uh, but the, the onion, like, you're like, wow, that's a good looking onion. And then you just like, you just keep peeling back layers. And you're just like, wow, I didn't know it could be this like deep, you know, and layered. And, and cause there's people who just surface level, wow, cool color. I'm in right. Or like, oh, great shape. I'm in, or, or yeah. even more simpler. I need a water bottle to hold water cool you're in but then like the goal is people look at the gift code oh what's this they learned about our giving wow this is a really generous company oh what's a b corp oh what's climate neutral you know just like you know and so it takes a lot of work to do that but i think it's ultimately worth it because in that bond that you have with those customers once they peel the entire onion uh you know then i don't know what what do they make salsa with the whole onion i don't know something cool yeah some some sort of onion analogy there, but, um, (laughs) well, yeah, I mean, it kind of harkens back to some of what we talked about earlier, which is there's an entry point for fly fishing. It's maybe the fish for mirror. It's the bottle. You need something to drink out of. There's the, there's the singular entry point. And then if you're open to it, it expands from there. And there's a lot more to enjoy and see and experience and unpack. You can send postcards Um, with flies taped to them and, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah don't give me your address you never know what you're gonna get from me i'll take it i'll take it <laughs> oh dave it's been a pleasure chatting uh we do need to get out fishing it's been a, yeah it's been a few years since the last time we were fishing beck had our two-year-old daughter on her back 
Perfect. in Sun Valley. It was it's like one of my favorite photos. Awesome. Um, that was an incredible day. Yeah. yeah. It was like sunny fall day in Sun Valley. I don't yeah. even know a river. I always forget the name of the rivers because I'm too distracted by the beauty around it. I'm like, yeah. we're in somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it was it was moving water. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Where are you itching to get back? Where will you go first? It, let's say internationally. <laughs> yeah, that's a tick I've got in my head. I I've got this desire to see every single inch of this planet that I have the ability to see. And so I rarely go to the same place twice. I try to, I might go back to the same country, but I'm typically going somewhere new within it. So um, this next year's got a lot of, because COVID screwed so much of our travel, this next year's got a lot of stuff packed. Um, British Columbia, Kamchatka, Russia, New Zealand, Seychelles, Costa Rica, um, Tahiti, uh, what else is on there? Cuba again. Um, I don't know. There's, there's, a, I want to get back to, I actually want to go to Gabon and, and, uh, Cameroon. A couple of my friends that have business, oh, cool. have a business down in South Africa. I've got this operation down there that I just, I so badly want to go experience. Um, wow. and if Keith and Rob ever actually listen to this and hear this, I'm, going to continue to pepper you with with <laughs> queries as to when you'll let me come down so um, let's do it we, okay. we need to yeah. we need to get our names on a list we just opened okay. up yeah. a, uh, distribution in south africa a couple years ago and sweet i'm like come on down and we're like all right and then covid we're like all right and like 2030 we'll be there yeah. <laughs> we should we should do that together when you guys are ready that would be yeah that'd guys, be awesome the guys that I know down there, uh, I should introduce them to you anyway. They should be using your product. I'll have to make that connection for you. That'd be awesome. Well, hopefully we all uh, get out of COVID alive and, and are able to travel hopefully sometime soon. Soon. Later. Yeah, soon. 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 Yep. All right, but I'm going to be hitting you up about fishing in Washington. Yeah, let's do I that. I don't do sure. it enough, and uh, I'll be the guy that's like, dude, you missed like four fish. I'll be like, ah, it's cool. I'm that's right. I'm going to be the guy <laughs> taking pictures of it, making it look like you were you were doing that that well. So don't worry about it. You guys are just going to be. You're not even going to be near the yeah, water. No, by yeah, the we're, time we're just going to be drinking just beer in our waders in the river, just chatting with your cameras yeah. out. Well, yeah. Craig and I didn't even fish. Yeah, there we go. That's I drove that. four and a half hours to see him. And we well, went on to Odell Creek that he's got access to this private spring Creek. And I think we fished for 10 minutes out of four hours. We just amazing. got on the back of my suburban and talked. That's cool. <laughs> that's so, great. There you go. Uh, too good. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dave, for joining us on the, on the pod. We'd love Thank having you. you. It was good to, yeah. good to see your face. My pleasure. So talk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was enjoyable. Cool. All right. Have a good one. Yeah. You too, you guys have a great Thank rest you. of your year. Thanks. You Thanks for tuning in. We will see you on the next episode.